Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. I'm going to be in chapter 18 and 19 a little bit, so we're going to bounce around just a little bit with a very familiar story. We're starting this new series about how we're going to take an honest look and a heartfelt look uh, about the battle that goes on in our minds and our emotions. And for a lot of us, man, as Caleb and Morgan were speaking this morning and they were talking in the middle of their singing and worshiping, I'm telling you, they were almost preaching the message of what this whole series is going to be about. It's that idea that some of us are in a battle. And emotionally, we're overwhelmed. We want to pull back. We're, we don't know what to do. We're praying about it. And, and, and we're just feeling overcome. And so today, we're going to take a specific look at depression. And the title of the sermon is Hopeless to Hopeful. I want us to be hopeful, but so many of us feel like we're hopeless. You ever have the point where you're going through something, it's overwhelming, and you're just really feeling it, you're depressed, you're going through the emotional anxiety needs, and all of a sudden there's a glimmer of hope. And you get excited, you're like, man, this is it, it's finally going to be over, and then something else happens, and all of a sudden that hope is taken away. And then you go through that season again where you're dealing with it and you're struggling with it over and over again, and then all of a sudden you turn around and then boom, there's hope. And then... Something happens and it's taken away and you're hopeless again. And after a while, the problem with it is as we're, because we're human, we're all human, we're, 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 we are spiritual beings with flesh and we got all that as, I mean, we, we, are, we are all that and we're going through all the different cycles and pool of emotions that after a while, we stop believing the hope and we just simply feel hopeless. So even though there's someone who's got, says, this is happening next, you're like, yeah, that's great, I don't believe it. We'll see what happens. I'll wait and see. That's the struggle. And this is the tension of the day that we're dealing with. So depression is one of our greatest battles that all of us will face at some point, at some time, different levels, different degrees. But it affects all facets of life when it hits you. In fact, Charles Spurgeon says this, depression is the dungeon beneath the castle of despair. Man, what a great quote. What a great quote. Just, just a, depression is, is the dungeon under the castle of despair. It's that moment where you just feel like everything is on top of you. It's over. And so <clears throat> we're going to deal with the idea of what Elijah went through. Elijah, very familiar for if you've grown up in church, you've heard the great stories of Elijah and all the great things he did. And this is a very familiar story with us, but hopefully we'll pull out something that maybe you haven't thought of. Elijah, in, in the first Kings chapter 18 and verse 19, let me give you just kind of an overture. He, there's a drought in the land for three years, which, by the way, he caused. <laughs> he actually called, told, told it not to rain anymore. God honored that request, and it didn't rain and caused a great drought where everybody around him was suffering. And, and here he is. He's being fed through ravens and, and other things, and he, he, but, but he caused this great drought, and Everybody's uptight, everybody's frustrated, everybody is aggravated, and most of them know that Elijah is the cause of this problem. King Ahab has abandoned God's ways and uh, commands and turned to the gods of Baal, and Elijah the prophet has a showdown with 450 prophets of Baal. He sacrifices two oxen, uh, 
And uh, no fire comes when the prophets of Baal call upon it, because he lets them go first. And he says, call your daughter. In fact, he taunts them. He says, you know, maybe if you cry a little louder, may, maybe your God will hear you. And then he says, well, maybe, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. So, you know, maybe if you do that. Maybe, and then, then my favorite line of all times is that maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom, you know. Maybe he can't answer your prayers because he's too busy going to the restroom. I mean, what a great line in the Bible. So Elijah's causing, he's actually caused the, the drought, he's caused all the situation, he's now going down, he's doing what God's called to do, and he's taking on 450 prophets, and then it, after they fail to call fire down from heaven after this great battle, Elijah turns and said it's his turn, and so he puts 12 stones, wood, a bull, and digs a moat around the, the, the altar, and then pours water on it. In fact, if you turn to 1 Kings 18... Verse 33, and we'll go to verse 37 or so, maybe verse 38. He says, he piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces of wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering of the wood. And after he had done this, do the same thing again. And when he was finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar, even filled the trench. At the usual time of offering the, of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. So Elijah prays this amazing, uh, powerful, fiery prayer. Man, I just wish that some of us had that kind of boldness, you know? I mean, the idea that you can step up, pray, and know that God's going to show up. Know that when you walk into a hospital room, when they'll let you go back to hospital rooms to pray over people, that you can step in there, you can look eyeball to eyeball, begin to pray, and just know that they're going to get healed. Man, I'm talking about powerful prayers. When I was growing up, that was the kind of prayers that we believed. We believed that God was going to, in fact, there was hardly ever a service where we didn't believe that God wasn't going to do something. We walked in with a spirit of expectation, and so we would see God heal people, deliver people, set people free. We would see people set on fire for God. We would see people saved. It was amazing. There would be people who walked off the street, set in a service that they'd never been in, and come to the altar mid-sermon to get saved. It was awesome. These are the type of prayers that people prayed. But this was also the day where we had Thursday night youth prayer meeting, Friday night adult prayer meeting, and then we had prayer before the service, and then the, before the evening service we had prayer service, because why? We were people of prayer. Prayer wasn't a fill the time before the service and after service, just something you do for about five minutes. It was an intense, God believed, I believe God's word, I'm going to pray intense prayer. In fact, uh, most of our prayer meetings lasted at least an hour or more, and, and if we've lost anything in this generation, it's our ability to pray and tarry and linger in God's presence. So regardless of Elijah causing this, a lot, regardless of what's going down in the battle, Elijah was a man who, with a prayer who 
prayed and talked to God often. In fact, the reason why he had such boldness is this is not the first time he spoke to God. This isn't even the first time he prayed a powerful prayer and saw God do something. This was the, the joining of many prayers. This is the, the, the buildup of what God has been doing all along and what Elijah has been seeing. And because of that, you go to verse 38 and you see the results of this prayer. It says, immediately, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust even licked up all the water in the trench. Then Elijah puts the death of 450 prophets of Baal. Rain comes blowing in after this huge drought. And then Elijah outruns King Ahab's chariots as Ahab's upset and his soldiers upset. He says, get Elijah. And Elijah, girds, it says he takes it, he girds himself, and he takes off running, and he outruns a chariot. That's a miracle. Powerful. Believe God was going to do great things. Here he is. He, all these people turn to God, saying that the Lord is God, and all these prophets of Baal who were leading people astray are put to death, and Elijah now... Uh, running from his life, begins to outrun chariots. If anything, you would say, for this preacher, it was a good day. It was a powerful day. It was an amazing day. In fact, this is, this is so awesome. When we read this, we're like, man, we're going to call down fire today. We're going to believe God, and uh, we're just going to see God do things. Not really to lack up the sacrifice, but we believe that God's just going to pour out his spirit, and we pray intense, God-fearing prayers. We want to see a move of God like that. We're so excited about it. The problem that we run into, which we're going to see in the story, is that after every great move of God, after every time God does something significant in our life, it seems like the enemy always moves in and tries to fight. Verse 46, he goes on and he says, Then the Lord uh, gave special strength. Well, let me just skip through that. Uh, he, but let me just say this. When Ahab got home, he told his wife Jezebel, and she was furious. In fact, she sends a letter to Elijah and says, if by this time tomorrow you're not dead, you know, I mean, she, she said she wants to kill. If you, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as all my prophets. That's what's going to happen to you, buddy. And so uh, this is where it gets very real because he just called fire down from heaven. He just saw, he just saw the hand of God open up the, the, the windows of heaven where the rain pours out. He outruns a chariot. He's able to see all these people turn to God. He's able to slay all of these prophets that are leading people away from God. And then after he hears this very real news, very upsetting news, here's how he responds. So Jezebel sent that message. May God strike me or even kill me if, not, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you've killed them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba into the town of Judah and he left his servant there. And then he went on to, into the wilderness traveling all day and he sat down under a solitary, a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. This is not the same guy who just prayed. This has got to be a different Bible story, right? This is, this is somehow they ran on, that it was like a run-on story, like a run-on sentence. It just kind of changed. But it's not exact. He says this, and this is where I think we all relate. He says, I have had enough. 
Lord, he said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. Emotional depression. Depression hits you when you least expect it. Anxiety hits you out of nowhere like a freight train. Out of nowhere, you, you, he, you feel like all hope is gone. And this is where Elijah is. He has seen all that God can do. He's seen all the powerful works of God. And now he's feeling the pressure of something. Let's be honest. He caused. He caused the tension in the area by, by praying that rain wouldn't come, that there would be a drought for three years. He is in the middle of a situation that he caused. And he's lost hope. And he's hopeless. And that feeling of hopeless makes you do this. He, he feared, fear overwhelmed Elijah to the point of suicidal thoughts. You would be surprised at the amount of people that we talk to that have had suicidal thoughts. People that you encounter with every day, people that you have conversations with every day that just says, you know, I, I, I was driving down the road, I just thought it's not worth it, and they just thought about going in the other lane and driving over the lane or driving off a bridge, and it, it's incredible. But that's what depression does. You don't think clearly. The information doesn't help you make, make you feel steadfast and strong. It makes you feel like all hope is gone, and I have nothing left to turn to. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He is not thinking rationally. He's not thinking clearly. Uh, fear paints the circumstances as, the, as worse than they are. He, he, he forgets all that God has done at that point. And so we got to remember, we are all susceptible to that feeling of hopelessness and depression. It's amazing how quick hope can be gone in the blink of an eye. But here's the deal. We're supposed to be hopeful. To be hopeful, we must shift our perspective from a uh, perspective back to faith from fear. If you're going to be hopeful, you have to get your eyes off of fear and put your eyes upon what God has in the eyes of faith. In fact, if you're taking notes, you want to make sure you write this down. Make your faith in God greater than your fear of your circumstances. I want to be like Esther. I'm not. Trust me, I'm not. But I want to be like the Esther that says, if I die, I die. No matter what happens, I put it in God's hands. I want to be the person that says, no matter what happens, I trust God. Whether, it, whether it, things go favorably, whether things go poorly, whether it rains on the just or whether it rains on the unjust, I'm going to trust God. I want to have that kind of faith, that hopeful faith. Hopelessness says you're doomed, nothing's ever going to work out, you're not going to recover from this. Hopelessness makes you feel like uh, the baby's not going to make it. Hopelessness says the marriage is never going to work out. Hopelessness says you've messed up too bad this time to recover. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. I just did a, uh, um, a devotion with our staff with this, but in the Passion Translation, it reads this way. I love the way the Passion Translation reads this verse. It says, though we experience every kind of pressure... We're not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do. But, we, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but we're not knocked out. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope. Just a day earlier, Elijah 
displayed some of the most radical, powerful faith anybody's ever seen. And then depression hits him. In fact, again, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 27, it says, About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is, God, uh, he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip. Or, even he, or, or he is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder. And the Lord, uh, uh, they, uh, they shouted louder, sorry. And following the normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords. And blood began to gush out and they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no reply, no response. Elijah felt hopeless because Elijah was worn out. You ever feel that? You got the pressure of everything on your job, you got the pressure of everything at your home, you got the pressure of everything, and, and it just seems like you're worn out, you're tired, you're emotionally exhausted, you're physically exhausted, and you're at the point, uh, I, I, this has been around for a while, but the very first person I ever heard say this was Brian Case, and he talked about halting. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you got to halt. you got to pray. you got to take time. you got to stop. There's those seasons, but we wear ourselves out, and when we are exhausted, we are the most susceptible to the voice of the enemy. When we are exhausted, we are at, 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 at the most susceptible moment where the enemy can step in and, and, and make you feel like it's all over. He is physically drained. He is mentally drained. He's emotionally drained. He is emotionally tanked. Just did battle with 450 prophets. He prayed after, and the rain came down. He outran a chariot, and Jezebel puts a death threat on him. He's exhausted. He's tired, he's worn out, and he feels like he's hopeless. To be hopeful, we must physically replenish ourselves. You got to deal with your physical needs. You got to take those moments. You got to pull away. It says in uh, chapter 19, verse 5 through 8, Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And he was sleeping, and the angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside him, there had, uh, uh, beside his head was a bread baked on hot stones, and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and laid down again. Just like a man, didn't even ask where the food came from, just ate it. <laughs> then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and uh, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Listen, our bodies were made for rest. Our bodies were meant to pull away. Our bodies were meant to have spiritual recuperation and physical recuperation. Our bodies were meant for that. You know, the Bible talks about having the Sabbath and keeping it whole and honoring that day, but, but nobody does that anymore. Nobody pulls away and takes the time to rest. For some reason, we think we know more than God. fuel. We need to fuel our body. We need to remember to eat right. Listen, you can't survive on cereal and Pop-Tarts all the time. You need some good nutrition in your body. You need something to replenish yourself. And when you're going through something, you need rest and you need fuel and you need to, sometimes you get your body moving healthy-wise. 
Listen, get outside, do something productive. Listen, sometimes when you're overwhelmed by emotion and depression and anxiety, what you want to do is stay in bed and, and, this, and it's not rest. You're in, you're, you're, you're in something else. You're in a cocoon of, uh, of I don't want to see the world. So sometimes you've got to make yourself get out of bed and you've got to make yourself go outside and you've got to make yourself go do something. Go do something you enjoy. Go for a hike. Go for a bike ride. Go for a walk. Go do something outside. Go to the park. Go do something. But make yourself get out and begin to move. Verse 3, he goes on in chapter 19. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba a town of Judah, and he left his servant there, and he went on alone into the wilderness. Hopelessness. Hopelessness caused Elijah to shut people out. Isn't that what you do when you're depressed? I shut everybody else out. I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to see nobody. I don't want to deal with anybody. I just want to stay home. In fact, and, and, and listen, I'm thankful for our live stream, and I'm not dogging anybody watching the live stream. That's not what this moment's about. But, but depression will cause you to stay at home and just watch live stream because it's easier to do that than deal with people. But let me assure you this. Digital church will never replace a physical church. Because an emoji will never replace a hug. An emoji will never replace laying hands and praying with people. An emoji will never Take the place of the feeling of the room when you feel the Spirit of God moving in a room, circulating, because God's people have joined together and begin to pray. Nothing takes away from that. Nothing, nothing adds to that more than being in God's house with God's people gathering together and assembling together. Uh, digital church will just never take that away. We need each other. We need one another. That's why we think that life is better together. We think you ought to be involved in a life group. And we have many on many different nights. If you work Wednesdays, there is one on, for you on Sunday morning. There's one for you on a, a, a Tuesday. There's one for you on, a, on, on, on other nights. There are some on Wednesdays. There's some on, on uh, uh, Sunday night. There's some every opportunity. There's so many opportunities to join a life group that we try to do everything we can to take that excuse away. Even our Celebrate Recovery has moved and started doing their, what we call life groups, but they call, have another name for them. And they're meeting during the day when people can get there. And it's powerful and it's awesome. Why? Because we need each other. We, we, we aid in each other's recovery and strength and well-being. We, are the, we need each other more than you realize. You were never meant to fight the battle alone. But what did Elijah do? He shut out his wingman. He left his wingman behind. Why did he do that? Because this guy knows him inside and out. And we don't want people to look at us and know us. In fact, isn't it just the most aggravating thing when you're down and depressed and somebody looks at you and says, what's wrong? No, something's really wrong. You don't look like yourself. You're like, I'm fine, shut up. You know, I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> they mean well, and you, and you take it well. But when you're hurting, when you're overwhelmed, when you're feeling all the, the, the anxiety of that moment, you're not thinking it's for your good. You're thinking, I don't want to be with anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want somebody who can see me that way. So what do we do? We avoid the people that know us like that. One of the first responses to depression is to shut down and shut out the people that are closest to us. Why? Because isolation is where the enemy dominates. Isolation is where the enemy dominates. When we isolate ourselves and pull away, that's where the enemy dominates the most. So how do you become hopeful? We must be intentional to connect 
with family and friends, get out of our shell, go talk to people, go talk to other people, get along with other people. In 1999, Duke University conducted a study of nearly 4,000 older adults, and it said attendance at the house of worship is related to lower rates of depression and anxiety. There's something powerful about us coming together and being together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, Let us think of new ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our worship or our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of, the, uh, of his return is drawing near. Here, you, you, we've got to push in. We've got to go further. In verse 4, it goes on and says, Then he went on along into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, he said to the Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors, who have already died. Hopelessness causes you to lack direction. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. He runs from God, and he's spiritually dry. Elijah flees for his life out into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. He has no direction. He has no desire. He has nowhere to go. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just out. He cuts off from the source uh, of his strength. When we're going through depression, it will cause you to cut off God, who is the source of our strength. Isn't it amazing? The thing we need the most is the thing we pull away from the most. The thing that we can find comfort with, we pull away. We don't want to pray. We don't want to talk to God about it. We don't want to talk to Jesus. All the songs are cute. All the songs are nice. That's awesome. When we're feeling good, they're so encouraging. When we're feeling down, we're like, ugh. So this is real talk, right? Everybody, everybody's with me, right? Depression is, makes you feel lost with no vision. When you can't see past your current circumstances or your current problem, the goal of depression is to isolate you off, especially from God. To blind you to God's purpose and goodness and mercy and kindness. To, that, that, that even though you're going through something, whether you're at fault for it or whether you're not at fault for it, that God's goodness and mercy is still there. He has never changed. He has never changed. Some of us say, you don't understand. You don't know why I'm in this situation. I, I messed up. I did something wrong. You know what? That doesn't change God's goodness and God's mercy. Yeah, you're going to go through some things. Yeah, there's going to be some problems ahead. But that doesn't mean that God is finished with you. I don't know if you've read the Bible all the way through, but it's full of people who mess up. So whether you messed up on drugs, whether you messed up with alcohol, whether you messed up with, with your family, with your wife, whether you messed up other it doesn't matter. The Bible's full of people who messed up in all those ways and many more. Hopeful, we aggressively pursue God, his word, and his truth. The angel said, you got to get up from here. You can't stay here. Where did the angel want him to go? To Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Listen, you have got to get up. Some of us have got to realize that you've got to get here. Some of you are watching today online, and I'm telling you, you need to get here. Next week, you need to get here. The week after that, you may not feel like it. You may not want to. You may not think that you can emotionally handle it, but you need to get here. You've got to pull yourself up. You've got to get up, and you've got to move towards the presence of God. You've got to. You need to. It's good for you. Where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush on Mount Sinai, 
where Moses received the Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai, where Moses struck the rod and water came out. Listen, some of us have to hear this. You've got to hear this. If you stay here and if you don't change, your situation isn't going to change. Nothing's going to change as long as you stay here. There are three distinct qualities that distinguish the voice of depression from the voice of truth. Depression uses absolutes like always, never, to give you the impressions that things can never be changed. That's tough. It's always going to be this way. It's never going to get any better. They're always going to be like that. They're never going to change. And you think things are never going to get better. They're always going to be this way. And they're not. If you're going to get through this season of life, you have got to realize that you've got to realize the voice of truth over the voice of depression. Second of all, the voice of depression, depression uses destructive uh, uh, rather than constructive language. Attacking your character and eliciting shame. And depression uses words and phases that isolate you and make you want to withdraw. Isolate you, make you want to pull away, make you want to withdraw. The Bible says this, he's a truth detector, a God connector, a lie detector, a mind protector, a thought corrector, and a future projector. That's what the word of God is for us. As our worship team comes and as I begin to close, I want to give you two lies that defeat us. The very first one, and it's the lie that most of us have heard and believed and said over ourselves, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who feels like this. I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one who knows what it's like to be in this situation. I'm the only one dealing with this. It's a lie. First Kings chapter 19 and the second part of verse 9 begins to say, But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? In verze 10, Elijah replied, I have, been ze- I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. But that wasn't the truth, was it? There were 7,000 that haven't bent their knee to Baal. There were 7,000 prophets that were loyal to God. There were 7,000 other prophets. But that's not the way he felt in that moment. He said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Nobody else knows what I'm going through. Nobody else feels like I'm the only one left. I'm, a, I'm ashamed. I'm hurt. I'd just rather die than have to move forward because I'm the only one. Listen, de- de- depression equals misinformation. Number two, there's nothing left to live for. Take my life. My job is done. He just says, it, just take my life. It's over. I don't want to do anything else. Just take my life. I'm done. But that, was, that wasn't correct either. The mission wasn't over. He told him in verse 15 and 16, he says, Anoint Hazel to be king over Aram, and then anoint Jehu, the grandson of Nemishi, and to the king of Israel, and to anoint Elisha, the son of Saphat, to the town, uh, and, and to be replaced by, as my prophet. He goes all this. Listen, God isn't done with him, and God isn't done with you. If you're in this place and you're struggling and you're struggling with depression and you feel like it's over, if you're watching online and you couldn't get up this morning because you're overwhelmed, let me tell you, God isn't done with you. God isn't done with you. God isn't done with your family. God isn't done with your church. God isn't done with your kids. God's not done with your home. God's not done with you yet. 
Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disasters, to give you a future and a hope. We have to move from hopeless to hopeful. Some of us in our previous season, we thought, man, everything's working out. It's soothsaying. Man, God's doing so many great things. I'm so excited. I'm finally on track. And then all of a sudden, this hits you. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. All you know is how you feel in this moment. So everyone stands in this place. We're going to do things a little different because depression is hard and it's hard to admit. So I'm going to ask everybody just to bow your heads. Just bow your heads and just going to ask the window to look around for right now. And I'm certainly going to ask this. If you are struggling today, whether you are on the front or all the way up to the balcony, I want you to admit to yourself so that you can admit before God that you're struggling. And if you've been battling depression, you've been feeling like the struggle is hard, and you feel like you're all alone, and you've been wanting to give up, and you're just saying, I just don't even know if it's worth going on. I just don't know what else to do. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm going to ask you just real quick to slip your hands up so I know to pray for you this morning. Real quick, hands up all over the place. Oh, everywhere. Everywhere. From the front to the back. You put your hands down. Thank you, thank you. So if you are where you are, you're probably standing in by someone who's one or two people away from you who raised their hands just on the amount of hands that went up. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray. And I want you to begin, to, if, if, if you didn't raise your hand, pray for the people on the left and right of you. Not asking everybody to lay hands on everybody because some people don't like to be laid hands, especially right now during COVID, that's fine. But I'm going to ask you just to pray. Send your prayers to the person next to you. And just say, and if it's you, I want you to just begin to receive it. God, I'm believing that you're not done with me yet. God, I'm receiving that you got something beyond this moment. God, I'm receiving this morning, Lord, that you are a good God and that you are not giving up. And Lord, there's more ahead. Right now, I know some of you are hurting so bad this morning. And when you got up and came this morning, you didn't want to come in. You came in reluctant. You just knew you had to be here. Surprise. Just let God work in your life. Father, I just pray over every person in this room. You are a great God. You're a miracle-working God. You're an encourager. You're a deliverer, Lord. You're a God that lifts us up when we're down, God. You're a God. Lord, you're the lily of the valley, the fairest of 10,000. You're the bride and morning star. You're my will in the middle of the will. You're my hope in a hopeless situation. All my hope really is in you, oh Lord. God, today I pray over every person in this room, those that are in the seat of despair. God, those that are in the pit of being overwhelmed in loneliness, those who've struggled with giving up, those who struggle with suicidal thoughts, those who struggle with just not knowing what to do next. Today, today, Lord, I pray that you would touch them and lift them up and encourage them. God, that in this moment, God, they would feel your presence and you would begin to turn things around. Even though the situation itself not, may not change today, emotionally they can start feeling a peace. 
God, I know what it's like to feel such despair. And then all of a sudden, the peace of God settles on you. Nothing's changed. But the peace that settles your heart is overwhelmed. Today, God, I pray that over every person in this place. We give this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can continue praying. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing, and then they're going to close you out.